Uh, just before we get going on the message here, I feel like there's a disclaimer that's in order. Um, this morning, and this was hours ago now, but this morning as I was getting ready to come to church, I realized my glasses were really kind of hazy and dirty, so I went to wash them off with some hot soap and water, or hot water and soap at the sink. And at, once I did that, I put the glasses back on, I realized somebody changed the soap in the dispenser at the Kilpatrick home, and it's some kind of scented <laughs> combination of like coconut oil and roofing tar, and, and I can still smell it off of the glasses even hours later, and there's some kind of chemical reaction going on with the plastic frames here that I'm pretty sure is toxic. And, <laughs> And so if you see my eyes start to glaze up a little bit and I'm, uh, I feel like I might pass out and fall over, don't like rejoice that the Spirit of God is at, move in my, at work in my life and moving. No, contact a first responder and get them here quickly. I need them on the ball. We're continuing on with this series uh, that we've got going on, right? And it's Living Your Mission. And as late as Nate introduced to us uh, last week, inherent in this particular series is this idea that... One of the things Jesus did was reach out to people, and another thing he did was to restore people, but that beyond that, he was interested in reproducing that sense of reach out and restore, and to reproduce that in mission outwards for others. Jesus wasn't content just to reach some people and do some good things in their life, and then have it stop there. He wanted to kind of reproduce the sense of making a difference in the world and restoring people, and that's what he calls us to, a life of reproducing his mission in the world. And we're taking, um, we're taking a lot of this series out of a book by Dave Ferguson that's called Discover Your Mission Now. Uh, a number of our leaders in the church are reading that book. It's a great book. If you're interested in reading that and feeling like you're kind of ahead of the game on the sermon series, you could do that as well. Um, but one of the things that Ferguson suggests in this book that's going to kind of help us structure the next five weeks is what he provides is with the understanding that there's a sense of we're called to reproduce Christ's mission in the world, some five practical activities that are really missional in nature, things that we can do, concrete, tangible, practical uh, practices that we can engage in our life in order to accomplish Christ's mission. And we'll be talking in the coming five weeks, each week we'll talk about one of those practices that we want to see integrated into our life, okay? So we're going to look at how Jesus modeled these practices and put them into play in his ministry. We're going to look at the various passages in scripture which identify these practices and help us to understand them. And then we'll look at the really practical ways that we can implement them ourselves and some, uh, some application and the now what do I do about that part of that. And so we're going to arrange these weeks over the next five weeks so the activities we talk about spell out the word bless. And the reason that we're arranging them so that they spell out the word bless is because slebs would not be nearly as memorable. <laughs> I know some of you are going, I could remember that. I could do it. No, the idea is Christ's mission is the world to be one of blessing and helping and loving, right? And, uh, and we want to be a part of that as well. And so with that in view, we're going to start this week with a passage that's in Luke chapter 6. And we'll start, we're st we will start off with that first missional activity that's part of this series. Luke 6, 12 to 15. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, 
He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, I'm sure he was a fun guy, <laughs> Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So this happens uh, early in Jesus' ministry. It's early in the game. So early that at this point, really, nobody other than Jesus has really figured him out. They're not sure who he is. They're not sure what his mission is. They're not sure what it is he's actually trying to accomplish. They're just in the early stages of coming to those questions, in fact. And Jesus is the only one that knows. And Jesus is the one who is now looking further forward, deeper into the future than anybody else realizes. And he understands already at this point in his ministry that his mission goes beyond reaching a lot of people. It goes beyond restoring and healing a lot of people and the masses. But his mission is to find and to inspire and to equip people who will reproduce his mission for generations to come. For generations to come on into the thousands of years. See, Jesus understands that if he's going to be successful, his activity and his impact can't end with his activity. He's reaching people, he's restoring people, he's healing people. But now it's time to get down to the business of reproducing mission among those people. And to do that, Jesus is going to have to focus the best part of his ministry to a small group of people that will carry his mission forward once he's gone. He says, I, got, I mean, there's all the world out there to choose from, the people that I'll really invest the, my, my best focused ministry. And he's going to narrow that down to the 12 men that are going to carry his movement future forward into the future. So how does Jesus begin this process of identifying the 12 men that he's going to focus on and invest in over the next three years of his life? And yes, if you're wondering, it is significant that he chose 12 of them. In the beginning, God created everything that was. He had the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. And he plants Adam and Eve in the garden and says, look, I want you to care for the garden. I want you to express your relationship of love with me in the way that you care for this garden. Lasted about a chapter and a half. And then Adam's sitting and, and Eve is lying and, and everyone's deceived and it's a mess, right? And so God's plan moves forward and down the line he comes across Abraham. And Abraham is a guy that God calls out to, to uh, receive a special relationship with God. And he forms this covenant with Abraham, and he describes it this way in Genesis 12. We read this a little bit last weekend as well. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God makes this covenant with this man that he calls apart. He says, they're going to be a great nation. And the end game of that great nation isn't just to be a great nation, but through that great nation, I want to bless all the peoples of the world. So Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of sons. And they became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. They became the ones through whom God's covenant was lived out and multiplied into the different groups of people throughout the nation of Israel. 
And so when Jesus comes along and selects 12 men to be the multipliers of his ministry, that's, that's not just random. He's making a clear statement. He's aligning himself with God's missional activity, God's redemptive activity throughout history. In selecting the 12, Jesus signals the alignment of what he is doing with the original intention that God had for his people to be a blessing to all nations. So how did Jesus select his disciples? You know, before creation, when, when the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, existed, he had all the time you could ever need, right? All power at his disposal, all resources available. But here's Jesus, that, that second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, takes on human flesh and lives in this world as one of us. And now he doesn't have all the time in the world. And now he doesn't have every resource imaginable. And so he has to make some decisions about what is he going to do, how is he going to identify and, and then uh, expand and multiply his ministry through the 12 he will choose. And so what is it that he does? What is it that he does? See, he would speak and he would teach and he would heal the masses. But his greatest impact would come through this small group of men the ones that, on whom he would focus the bulk of his ministry attention. These are the men that he would invest in. This is the men he would spend time talking with and traveling with. This is the, these are the men that he would mentor, that he would train, and he would instruct. And by the way, he did that almost immediately. I don't know if you've ever come out, come out of a tradition or been part of a church where it takes a long time to get involved. You know, if you... If you'll just get saved and then become morally perfect and remove every spot and stain from your life and get 13 Bible degrees and then pass the background check, maybe we'll select you to serve coffee in the coffee bar, but, you know, <laughs> only maybe. Have you been a part of that kind of experience? That's like the exact opposite of how Jesus was with his disciples. Like, almost immediately once he gets them, he throws them into the middle of ministry. I was, last week we read out of John 4, the woman at the well, Jesus encountered there. At the beginning of that chapter, there's this fun little tidbit that's in there where John's writing, and, and he says, hey, you know, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees were, like, keeping score between John the Baptist and Jesus, and they wanted to see who was more influential, who's baptizing more people. And the Pharisees were noticing that Jesus was starting to baptize more people than the Pharisees were. And then John writes, like a little parenthesis, he goes, but actually it wasn't Jesus doing the baptizing. It was the disciples. Of which he was one. So he just wanted to make sure he got full credit for being part of the success, right? Which is super fun. But, but these guys... I mean, you've got to imagine what that was like, just being launched into ministry like that before they were ready, right? I'm sure that there were these moments where Jesus was like, no, Andrew, Andrew, no, you can't point him downstream. You've got to turn around upstream. Otherwise, the water just goes right up their nose. That's no good. No, and no, I think you better let him up now. I know he's a tax collector, but you've got to bring him back up. Come on. I had have, I have this image of Simon Peter, who's always super enthusiastic, just like grabbing people off the banks and throwing them WWF into the river. And Jesus going, no, no, no. You have to at least ask permission, right? <laughs> like, I'm sure they made a ton of mistakes along the way. But Jesus had a longer vision than just the perfection of that moment. Jesus had a vision for multiplying what he could do 
through these 12 men, and so we got him involved right away. And I don't know about, that speaks to me where I am, because I never feel equipped to do everything I feel like God's asking me to do. And if we wait till we feel like we're equipped, then we're just proud. Most of what we need to do is just to step into where God is calling us and trust that he's going to make us capable to do what he wants to do. You may not feel like you know enough. You may not feel uh, like you're called enough. You may not feel like you have enough of God's favor. And I want to tell you that those are all lies from the enemy because God's call on you is to reach you, uh, to restore you, and then to launch you into ministry right away, long before you're ready. He wants you to make a bunch of ministry mistakes as you grow into a real multiplier of his mission in the world. Don't wait till you're perfect. That's a long time away. So these are the guys that are going to carry Jesus' ministry forward. It's imperative that he gets the right guys to do this. Now, here's how important it is. My sister is all about like uh, genealogy and ancestry.com and stuff like that. So she did a little kind of digging on our family and found some fun stuff. There were a few like embarrassing, fa embarrassing family secrets that weren't supposed to get out from back in like the early pioneer days, so that was fun. But before that, we came from this section in Scotland. Apparently, we were kind of a big deal. That's good to know. But if we could do a spiritual genealogy of every Christ follower, every Jesus follower here in the room, do you know what we'd find? We'd probably find a few embarrassing secrets somewhere back there. But what we'd really find that as we traced that I'm someone who was introduced to Jesus by someone, and that person was introduced to Jesus by someone, and that person was introduced to Jesus by someone, we'd find that all of our genealogies traced their roots back to one of these 12 guys that Jesus selected. It's that important. We are the result of that night that Jesus spent in prayer. And now the ball is in our court. Just like Jesus had to figure it out, we have to figure out with limited time, which is a reality for all of us, with limited resources, which are a reality for all of us, where will we focus our primary effort at introducing people to Jesus and inspiring them and equipping them to reach out and restore others and to multiply God's mission in the world? And if we're wise, we're going to have to do exactly what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was to begin that whole process with prayer. Some of you, I can say, you're super smart. You're on top of it. You notice that the B and begin with prayer match the B at the beginning of bless. <laughs> I'm with you. You guys are overachievers. I didn't have to explain that to you. You already knew. So excellent work. Here's the deal. Jesus, like many of us, could look at a group of people and he could identify people with leadership ability. He could see some potential in people. He could see the obvious choices and he probably had a short list going into his evening of prayer. But he took that to prayer and he spent all night doing it. All night. To contrast that for a moment with some of the tendencies we have when we have a big decision to make. Right? Too often, too often it's, it's much more, rather than spending all night in prayer and submitting my, uh, the possibilities to God, it's much more like, God, I have a big decision to make. I've read the resumes. I've conducted interviews. I've checked the backgrounds and the references. And so God, having travailed for two and a half moments in prayer, <laughs> would you bless this decision I have already made? Amen.
That's not the prayer Jesus was praying all night long. Jesus says this, he realized this is so important, getting the right people is so important. Focusing my time in the right places and my energies in the right direction are so important that I want to be so aligned with what God wants that I'm just going to keep praying through the night so that I know I'm making a good decision. Our job as followers of Jesus is to continue his mission by making disciples who reach others and make disciples and make disciples and carry it forward. And this requires an investment of energy. It requires an investment of time and focus, an investment of ourselves. And we just can't do that with everybody. There's a fixed amount of us to go around. And some of us kind of look around, and we do. We fall in this trap, and we say, well, gosh, I can't do that with everybody, so I won't do it for anybody. If we're going to follow the Jesus model here, to be people, who, disciples who make disciples and make disciples. We're going to have to say, hey, I, I can't invest that way in everybody, but I want to get God's heart and mind and guidance and direction on who I should be meeting that way, who I should be investing in that way. Like Jesus, we have to bring an intentional focus to where we're going to invest our time and our life, and specifically, who is God calling us to reach and restore? And like Jesus... We need to begin with prayer. I wholeheartedly believe that there is a person or a small group of people that you alone can reach, that God uniquely is looking for you to reach out to, that these are people that you can disciple, see their lives transformed and restored, see them become multiplying disciples who move Christ's mission further and deeper into the world. I believe those people are out there and that God has an assignment that way for you. And I simply want to say that the place to begin is in the place of prayer. If, if, there's, any part of, if there's any part of I want to multiply Jesus' mission the way that we're talking about, that process begins in prayer. There's no other way around it. And for the remainder of our time, I just want to touch base on a few kind of practical ways that we can pray. Because I'm inviting all of us as a church to join into uh, this style of life, this lifestyle that says, I live with a sense of mission and purpose. And that's to move Jesus' mission forward into the world. And if there's any part of that that resonates with you, then success in that field begins with prayer because that's how it did for Jesus. So, what does that look like, practically speaking? First, you can pray about who. By the way, if you're a note taker, these next few things are going to be the things, the what to do about this that you may want to remember, so feel free to take notes on that. But pray about who. I see you grammar, grammar police out there. You can pray about whom if you want to. But the question is this, God, where would you like me to invest myself personally, emotionally, spiritually in the life of another? You may think you know already, and maybe you do. But you know, the 12 people that Jesus arrived at choosing after a night of prayer were not necessarily the front runners after the first consideration. I would suggest don't just assume that you know who God's calling you to reach. But take that to prayer. God, 
who is the person? Who are the people? What is the group? Where do you want me intentionally stepping into deeper relationship so that I can reach them with the gospel? A second way we can pray, and that's this, and that's pray for who. So that's whoever that is, whoever those people are, whatever that, after spending time in prayer and arriving at some level of assignment that God is calling me to reach into these people's lives in whatever way, it's then just to start praying for them. To act as if their welfare, their spiritual welfare, their emotional welfare, their relational welfare is, is of great concern to you. Pray God's blessing on them. Pray that God opens their mind and heart to what God's doing. Pray that they receive from God a sense of his love and care and closeness. Pray about the things that they're going through. By the way, you know how you know what things they're going through? A couple options. You can spend all night in prayer and hope that God gives you an answer. Or you could simplify and just say, hey, one of the things I do in my life is I pray for people who matter to me. I'd love to know how I can pray for you. How, how can I be praying for you and your family? And they'll tell you. And then you can pray. Communicating that you love and care about them with no particular goal in return. Praying about who, praying for who. And then there's pray about the how. So God, I've got this sense that this is that person you want me to reach out to. This is the person you want me to share your love with. That long term, I want to invest in this person. And they're going to be part of this uh, spiritual genealogy moving forward, right? So what do I do about that? When do I talk to them? When do I share my story of faith? When do I ask them to talk to me about kind of where they are in terms of their belief system or in terms of their faith? Um, God, uh, God, help me to know when to say nothing at all and just to be present and to be a friend and to offer support and care. It's going to be different in every situation and in every relationship and with every person. And we may think we know what needs to happen and we may think we have the grand strategy in place, but I would suggest that real success here comes from a place of beginning with prayer and saying, God, would you guide me? Would you let me know how to go about the business of discipling these people and introducing them to Jesus? Here's another one. Pray about today. Because this sense of I want to be a multiplier of Jesus' mission, yes, there are some specific people that I'm going to uh, address and, and focus my life's energy and investment on. For sure, that's true. But every day, what would happen if we just woke up every day and said, Jesus, today I'm making myself available to be a conduit of your love and blessing to others. To be maybe kinder than is just required in the circumstances. To be more loving, to be more generous. Just, God, where do you want, would you open my eyes today to the opportunities that come my way? Whether that's acting or speaking or telling people about my faith or sharing Jesus' good news with them or whatever it may be. God, would you open my mind to the possibilities today? And then we just go all through the day with our eyes open going, I can't wait to see the answer to that prayer because they're out there. You can pray for who and how and about how and about today. And then simply, I want to invite you to join me in praying for more. For more people with that missional mindset that says, I'm not content to just be reached and restored, but I must be one who reproduces Jesus' work in the world and passes that on to others who will do the same.
Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 9. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he's talking to the workers there, right? So in my mind, my goes like, here's what my anticipated next sentence. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So work really hard. But that's not what he says. To the workers, he says, it's plentiful, but the workers are few. But ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord to send more workers into the harvest field. I believe in this congregation, we've got a load of people who say, yeah, I want to be on board. I want to multiply Jesus' work in the world, and I want to be used that way. I'm very willing to begin with prayer and walk through the rest of this and implement and integrate all five of these activities that we'll be talking about into my regular daily life. I want to do that. But you know what? There's so much more need than we in this room can accommodate. There's plenty of need to go around. And so would you join me, in addition to praying for what's your own assignment and how are you going to go about that, but would you join me in praying that, that the Lord of the harvest sends more workers out into the field so that more people can come to know Jesus, so that more people can be reached and restored and God's blessing on the world moves forward, both today and for generations. Let's pray. Lord, we really are... Um, incredibly blessed. We live in the midst of an embarrassment of riches when it comes to your blessings. And God, first of all, I want to pray that you would break in us any contentment that we have in just being blessed and in just having been reached and in some way restored. God, would you break our contentment and leave us unsatisfied with that? Would you give us a hunger to multiply what you've done in us into the lives of others and through them into many, many, many more? Would you, would you make it something that we can't live without? And then God, as this week in particular, as we commit ourselves to beginning with prayer, I want to pray that as we seek you out, that as we meet with you, that as we ask you for your guidance and your empowering, that you would meet us powerfully, that we would hear your voice and you would illuminate individuals and peoples and groups that we can meet. God, that you would give us wisdom and strategy and, and the ability uh, to do a better job at it than we could ever do ourselves. God, would you give us a blessing mindset, which is to pray for the best for those that we want to reach. And God, ultimately, we pray that this entire process would bring you glory and move your work in this world forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Scott. It struck me as I was listening that the, uh, the prayer part of this is probably the most important part because it's living into our mission means we've got to be listening to God. We've got to be each day spending that time listening. And prayer is as much about listening as it is about talking, right? And so we want to be good listeners this week, be listening for who do you want me? Where should my life intersect with somebody else's? What assignment do you have for me today? Let's commit to that this week to spend 15 or 20 minutes every day just listening, praying, and asking the who question of the Lord. Well, let's stand up together. And uh, if you're newer, newer to the church, I would love to meet with you for a few moments right over here at First Connect. 
Uh, if you need prayer, there'll be people over here, our prayer team, ready to pray for you. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week for the continuation.